So I'm a huge uh, history fan. Anybody else just love history? Like I love history. I love watching documentaries. I, I love learning about stuff. And one of the parts of time that I just love studying is the World War II era. Uh, it was just a, such a like hard time for the world as a whole, but it's such a monumental time in history. And I spend a lot of time just diving into it. And one thing you learn about World War II is it was a couple moves away from being completely different outcome. There, there was a couple things that happened in history that changed the outcome of this great world war. And uh, one of, I love Winston Churchill. Anybody a fan? You may not know who I'm talking about. You know, we'll get there. Uh, Winston Churchill, amazing man. And he finds himself leading the UK as, as the, the German Nazis are encroaching all around. They're completely surrounded. They, they, the hope is almost lost. They, they've been bombarded by, by shells from above over and over and over again. People are living in tunnels. And Winston Churchill has to find out how to rally the people. And he's fighting something in this time where most of the people in Congress with him were saying it's time to surrender, it's time to sign the peace treaty. It's time to give in to what they want so our people can survive. And he is this voice that speaks out against that. And as I study Winston Churchill, it's a great study of his life, the idea of fight or flight. The idea of fight or flight. There's times in life where you need to stay in and fight. And there's times in life where you need to run. But the thing we have to check ourselves in is are we running for the right reasons and are we fighting for the right reasons? And so Winston Churchill, as, as the Nazis are encroaching and about to take over this power, he gives an amazing speech to Congress. So we're going to play that, just a little clip of it so you can see what I'm talking about. He says this. Separators of the Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end! We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with, with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island whatever the cost may be. Yeah. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. So I don't know about you, that pumps me up. I'm ready to go right now, you know? Like, it's just such a powerful speech. And what I see in this is Winston Churchill had hope for the huge future of his people. He had hope when most of the people around him had, give, had given up hope. Had, all they were focused on was the problem. That was the bigger thing in their life. He saw the hope. If we don't quit, if we don't give up, and we stay in the fight, there is a hope for us. There is a hope for us. And hope comes when you have a belief in the future and fear and quitting comes when you have a disbelief for a great future. 
Even if it's not certain, if you don't believe that your future is going to be great, fear will often sink in. And we're going to be talking through one of my favorite characters in Scripture today, Elijah. And just to warn you, I'm going to be reading a lot of the Bible today. Is that okay? I'm going to be reading a lot of Scripture today. It's an amazing story. And there's three things in life that as we go through this context of the story, there's three main areas that we constantly have to find hope in or we give in to fear in. We, we either stay in the fight or we turn to flight and run away. And those three areas are personal. The first one's personal. We, we have personal things in our life like relationships and, and health, physical health and mental health and struggles and work and all, all that personal stuff that we, we have to deal with on a daily basis. We have to constantly choose, are we going to find hope or are we going to give in to fear when things don't go our way? The second thing is spiritual. We, we have to acknowledge that there is a spiritual enemy, the devil, that, that, is, it, that hates us. That, that is fighting a spiritual battle against us that doesn't want us to succeed. We have to acknowledge that. And the third thing is we have a fear sometimes of others. Others can say something to us. They can hurt us. They can, they can lie to us. And our interaction with others in the world just determines how we respond. Do we respond with hope or do we respond with fear? Do we respond with, jo we respond with joy or do we respond with anger? And we're gonna look at Elijah here Elijah has a story in 1 Kings chapter 18 where we see a very hopeful Elijah. We see him hopeful. And I'm just gonna read the story and then we'll, we'll dive into it, but I'm gonna introduce you to the two main characters we're gonna focus on today in 1 Kings 18, one through four. Later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell, them, tell him that I will soon send rain. There's a drought in the land at this time. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah uh, was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once when Jezebel, it's the second main character. We have Elijah, and our second main character is going to be Jezebel here. Had tried to kill the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food or water. See, what I'm setting this up is I, I need to introduce you to Elijah. I need to introduce you to Jezebel. Because what Elijah is about to do as we continue to read here is Elijah is going to go before the people and he's going to call out the hypocrisies of where they've gone. He's going to call out the beliefs and the false gods that they're worshiping. And there's a character named Jezebel who is not going to like this at all. So let's continue to read in verse 16. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so it's really you, the troublemaker of Israel. That's a cool title. I mean, I, I'm, this was not in my notes, but as I'm thinking about this, I, I want to be sometimes known as the troublemaker. Right? If the, view, if the world is looking at me, oh, it's really you, the troublemaker of Reno. <laughs> You're the one who's stirring up and giving people hope and giving people joy. You're the one who's stirring, not letting people stay in their sin. You're the one who's rallying people to think that there's a future, you troublemaker. I'll wear that title very proudly. Amen? And so he says, 
He's, you troublemaker of Israel. And Elijah replied, you and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commandments of the Lord, and you have worshipped the images of Baal. Now summon all Israel to join me on Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophet, prophets of Aziriah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned the people to, of Israel and the prophets to the Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them. He's in front of everyone here. How much longer will you waver between two opinions. The Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. What Elijah's doing here, he gathers everyone together. And as you continue to read, he tells the prophets of Baal to build an altar, to build an altar for a sacrifice. And he says, I'll do the same. And they put these two altars up and he gives them a command. He said, you'll build the altar, but don't set fire to it. Don't set fire to this altar. And then I'll do the same, and we'll see what happens. And so as we continue to read, there's this showdown happening in front of all of Israel. They're watching. They're being misled by these prophets of Baal, and Elijah is calling them out, and he says to them, okay, you go first. As we continue to read, then Elijah said to the prophets, you go first, for there are many of you He's so sarcastic, I love it. Choose one of the bowls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bowls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal, morning until noon, shouting, oh Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced around the altar that they had made. Here's the coolest part about Elijah here. There's a lot of cool stuff, this pumps me up. About noontime, Elijah began to mock them. You'll have to shout louder. They, he's, if he's surely God, perhaps, maybe he's daydreaming. Or he's, this is, maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> or maybe he is away on a trip or asleep and needs to be awakened. I mean, there's 400 prophets dancing around and, and they're, they're screaming, they're doing all their, their acts, trying to get fire to catch on this altar. And Elijah's just off to the other side, mocking them. Hey, hey, maybe he's in the bathroom. Can you imagine how tough this guy is? He's outnumbered 400 to one. 400 to one in this moment. And he is, he's mocking this, he's calling them out. And then he goes on to say this. So they shouted louder, which is the normal custom. They even go to start to cut themselves and to practice these rituals. And then they get through with that, nothing happens. And Elijah builds the altar. This is a cool moment. He builds a trench around the altar. And he tells the people, okay, I want you to go grab buckets of water and I want you to dump it on the altar. They did it once, they did it twice, and they did it three times to make sure it was completely soaked, to make sure that there was no chance that, uh, that there would be a lighting of this fire on this altar. And we continue to read. Sorry, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm not gonna apologize. I'm reading a lot of scripture, but you guys are having a good time, right? Okay, here we go. At the usual time of the offering and sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God and the God of Israel, and then I, that I am your servant, Prove that I have done all this in your command. O oh Lord, answer me. 
Answer me so that these people will know who you are, that you are God, that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water so you couldn't even tell there was water there to begin with. Can you imagine this moment? These prophets who had been following this false belief, they find themselves witnessing a miracle from heaven. Elijah standing so confidently, knowing God was gonna show up, knowing he was gonna come through in this moment. He's so confident. He, and after this moment, he gets rid of the false prophets. They're gone, and, and then rain comes. But then something happens in the next chapter. This is why we're in the imperfect heroes type. This confident Elijah, this powerful believer that believed that God was gonna do what he was gonna do in chapter 19, verse one. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. This man, one chapter, a couple lines before, stands in front of hundreds of prophets, does all this stuff, and then a woman named Jezebel utters a, a a scare tactic a call, says, I'm gonna kill you, and he runs and flees in fear. How does this happen? How does this strong man of God believe at one moment and then not believe in the next? How does this happen? And, and there's things that we can learn from this. When we can learn from Elijah and that's why I've loved this Imperfect Heroes series because we celebrate the, the great moments of a lot of these heroes, but in the moments of their struggles is often where we can learn from. When we see that they were just like us, they struggled just like us, they struggled with the same things we did and they still did great things for God but still struggled with stuff like fear and doubt. So we're gonna dive into this and we're going to talk about three things that were different in Elijah's response to the prophets and Elijah's response to Jezebel. One, he stands in and he fights. He doesn't run. He doesn't flee. He has belief. He's staying in the fight. And then one, he flees for his life. And the first one is this. Elijah, when addressing the prophets on Mount Carmel, he had hope in God's strength. He had hope in God's strength. In verses 33 through 35, it says, he piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, laid the pieces of wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. Over and over and over again. Okay, make it more wet. Make it even harder. He was so hopeful in the strength of God here. This is not a skittish Elijah that doesn't think that God is not gonna show up. He's not questioning, is God gonna show up? Is he gonna come through? In this moment, he's so confident. Pour more water, pour more water. At this moment, Elijah knows who owns the results of this moment. 
even as he's praying for the fire to come, he says, let me step aside so they will see you, God. He's so confident in God in this moment, in God's strength in this moment, because he knows who owns the results. He knows that he has nothing to bring to starting this fire on this altar. He knows that God is in charge and owns the results of this moment. How often do we wake up daily and remind ourselves who owns the results? That it's not me that owns the results of my life, it is God. And if I believe he has, is strong, if I believe he has strength to pull me through stuff, to get me through hard times, when I believe that, I can keep hope. I can stay in the fight, but when I give in to fear and I wake up with a mindset of how am I gonna get through today? How am I gonna survive today? How are we gonna pay this bill? How are we gonna pay that bill? And my mindset is not focused on the strength of God. It's focused on the size of my troubles. We'll lose hope, amen? The water bottle skipped my spot, sorry. We need to wake up every day, every day, and as we pray to God, remind ourselves that he is the one in charge. He owns the results. He is looking out for us. It's not by our own strength, it's by him. And if we hold true to that, those life circumstances will, will, will approach them differently, right? The second thing that we learn from Elijah here is he had hope in God's provision. He had hope in God's provision. And then we read in scripture here in 1 Kings 18, it says this, at the usual time for offering and the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. He, he was saying in that moment, he knew God would provide. What he's really saying here is, God, you send the fire. You send the fire. You send the fire. And as I began to study this line, how often in our life are we leaving room for the provision of God? How often in our life are we leaving room for the miracle of God to happen in our life? How often are we waiting on the miracle of God to come, trusting in his provision? Or do we immediately go to our own devices, our own strengths, our own thoughts when we are approaching these things instead of going to God? We have to remember that he sends the fire. He sends the miracle. And when we approach life believing that he will provide, he is strong enough, all I have to do is be a vessel and believe in that provision, we'll stay in the fight. We'll stay in the fight. But when we try to rely on our own strength, on our own provision, we realize we are not strong enough. There is nothing Elijah could have done to make fire fall from heaven. He could have willed it, 
He could have thought it. He could have done all this stuff just like the prophets of Baal were doing. The only thing, the provision that came from heaven, the only thing that made that happen was God alone. God alone made that happen. And his prayer of saying, let me step aside and for you to get the glory, God. For Israel to see you, not me. We have to remind ourselves daily to do the same thing. To, to rely on the provision of God. And as I was thinking through this, I was reminded of a parable. Um, it's about a farmer from China. And this parable goes like this. The, the farmer, uh, he, one day he goes out to check on his horses and he had a big field and he had one horse and he realized that the horse had broken through the gate. It ran away. And the whole town comes and gathers around this man and they say to him, they start mourning over him. They say, oh my gosh, how are you gonna make it? How are you gonna take care of your farm? And his response was, we'll see. We'll see. And he went to bed that night and the next day he woke up and he looks outside his window and there's seven horses in the corral with his first one. Seven wild horses had came back with the one and are now in the corral. Then the whole town gathers around. You are so lucky. This is so amazing. His same response, we'll see. Next day, son goes out to take care of the horses, gets kicked and breaks his leg. Village does the same thing. We'll see. Until the army comes around to recruit him to go off to war, but his son can't go because he has a broken leg. And the whole town comes around and says, you're so lucky, we'll see. So much in life, when we are in a season of struggle, when we're in a season of hardships, when we're in the day to day, and we view life through this moment, this moment, and this moment, and we don't see the bigger picture, that the provision of God, sometimes the things that seem like celebrations can turn into nightmares. And things that turn, seem like nightmares can turn into blessings. But we have to be able to trust God and his provision. Even when we find ourselves in a season where we feel like running, like Elijah did for fear for his life, we have to trust that God had come through once before, he'll do it again. One of the habits we have to get better at, myself included, we have to get better at remembering what God has already done for us. Remembering that he showed up before. We can trust in his provision. When you came in here this morning and you sat in that chair, did you go through a big old question? I wonder if this chair is going to support me. I do that a lot, but it's because I'm big. But you know, you walked in, you grabbed a seat in that chair because you'd sat in the chairs before. You knew they were going to hold you. You knew that you could rest easy in that chair because you've practiced it over and over again. We have to do the same thing with our relationship with God. We have to trust that in his provision, we can rest in him. He's come through before. He's held us up before. He got us through the hard time before. He will do it again. So when people come to us and we're going through a hard time in life, our response can be, we'll see. We'll see. I trust that God's provision will come through. Amen? You guys still with me? All right, third point, here we go. Elijah, when he was taking on the prophets on the mountaintop experience, Elijah had hope in God's plan. 
He had hope in the plan of God in that moment. See, because God had called him out earlier to go and to confront the false prophets, to have this moment, and he had this moment of hope, trusting, trusting the plan of God. Trusting that God had a plan. So much times in our life, we lose sight that God has a bigger plan for us than we can even imagine. That he has a plan. And it says this, in 1 Peter 5, 7, 8, as I begin to close here, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We have an enemy in life named the devil. And his whole job what he's trying to do on a daily basis with us is convince us that God's plan can't be trusted. That we can't trust God's plan. He's whispering things into our ears. That's too big. That's too big of a miracle. There's no way he could come through that way. No, he can't heal this relationship. No, he can't heal this illness. No, he can't. He's whispering these things to our life. And we have to constantly remind us that God has a plan. When the enemies were facing Elijah on the top of the mountain, he wasn't up there believing the lies that their God was real. He knew that God had a plan to get him through that moment. But we find him running from Jezebel for fear for his life. Because in one moment he trusted the plan of God, the second moment he didn't. He lost hope in the plan. He lost hope in the plan. And I got some really great news for you today. You ready for this? God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for this church. God has a plan for this city. God has a plan for your brother, your sister, your niece. He has a plan. And that plan is Jesus Christ. That plan is Jesus Christ. He sent his plan that we could live in, that when the enemy attacks, when we go through hard times in life, we can rest in God's plan, Jesus. See, it says this in John 16, 33. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. God sent his plan, Jesus Christ, and he overcame death. He overcame the finality of death. He overcame the world by going to the cross and dying for us. And three days later, rising from the grave. So the great thing about us is we already know the outcome of God's plan. We know the plan. We know what's gonna happen. All we have to do is put our belief and hope in Jesus, knowing that my eternity is guaranteed with him. That by his blood that was shed on the cross, no matter what the enemy throws at me, no matter what hardship is thrown at me, Jesus already won. Jesus already won. Jesus already won. 
Whatever you're struggling through, whatever thing you are losing hope in right now, put your hope back into Jesus. Trust his plan, trust his provision, trust his strength, and watch how the fight begins to change. Because you'll stop fighting with your strength and you'll start fighting with heavenly strength. The enemy is not scared of you and me, he is scared of Jesus and Jesus alone. And we have to rest in that. We have to rest in that Jesus is enough. That he already won. That he already won the battle. And when we start to think like that, we can start to have a mindset like Winston Churchill. When it seems like the armies are surrounding me and charging in and everything is lost. When I remember Jesus, I can stand and say, I will fight on the beaches of life. I will not surrender to the enemy because my hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And he went to a cross and died for me and shed his blood so enemy, you can no longer win in my life. You can no longer win. We have to keep hope alive that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. Amen.